Hey everyone, it's Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, we are back, and it's the World Cup. The World Cup, yeah. It's uh, a winter World Cup. It was weird watching World Cup matches on Thanksgiving and like throughout the long weekend, but kind of cool at the same time, I guess. Uh, and so we're here to talk about it. I know people have been like adding us like, when are you going to drop a World Cup episode? Well, here here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and thanks to everyone who wants to hear our takes um, on <laughs> the World Cup. But um yeah, if you're finding us for the first time, we are Hardcore Football uh, and uh, at HXC Football on Twitter, and you can find us on any major podcast platform, and if you'd be so kind as to go and subscribe on your favorite platform, we'd really appreciate it. Um, we primarily talk about club football, um, and uh, with the European season taking a little hiatus, we did too, but the, uh, the World Cup just... There's a lot of stories here, a lot of, you know, I think despite everything surrounding this World Cup in particular, with it being in the winter, with it being in Qatar, um, there is still a feeling, I think despite myself, that the World Cup, it just has like something about it. And it's, I mean, I know it's been described by many different people in many different ways, but I know it was described once by John Oliver as FIFA's uh, equivalent of, you know, Heisenberg's blue meth. Um, <laughs> like it's, you know, that they're terrible, but you can't get enough of the stuff regardless. <laughs> That's interesting. That's less wholesome than I was going to characterize it. I think of it as like a festival of football. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, FIFA's like EDC, <laughs> I don't know, uh, something like that. Um, but yeah, no, it's. I mean, the games have been very entertaining, lots of narrative uh, every which way. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of break it all down and see see what we're working with here. In that case, I would submit the Europa League is Warp Tour. Um. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes if the world <laughs> cup is edc then so what's the champions league the champions league is uh uh would we say coachella yeah yeah no i think that works and like <laughs> maybe like Lollapalooza and Lollapalooza. like yeah <laughs> all of those <laughs> any of the any of the like you gotta have real, real scratch to go to those warp tour. You could get in for like a couple bucks. Yeah, and by the <laughs> but, end, you're gonna be sunburned, just yeah. beat up. Yeah, dehydrated. You learn about so many random bands on the side stages. Yeah, it yeah. is kind of like the group <laughs> stages of the Europa League. I love that. <laughs> um, well, before we get on to the festival of football, um, there was some some big news today that we'd be remiss if we didn't we didn't address and that is the entire Juventus board uh has resigned uh on mass it was described and and Luke Brown for the Athletic uh wrote that the Juventus board including president Andrea Agnelli and vice chairman Pavel Nedved resigned from their positions on mass on Monday 
the extraordinary collective resignation comes after the club's financial statements underwent scrutiny by prosecutors and the Italian market regulator in recent months for alleged false accounting and market manipulation. Mika, um, it's been reported for some time that Juventus were under investigation um, by Italy's uh, financial police, essentially. And uh, this announcement of the board resignation um you mentioned hunter you may have some uh unique insight into something like this but there this feels like something big is coming um at uve and and now the the crack you know the cracks were there but now it's it's truly been been blown open Yeah, yeah, like you said, they've been under investigation for, I think, the piece that you quoted called it financial irregularities or something like that. But, I mean, basically the the main things here are uh, allegations of inflating transfer fees um, and also the treatment and the accounting of deferred wage payments to players during the pandemic uh, is is the understanding that we get from from the media that are covering this. yeah, I mean this is this is huge, especially uh, when the entire board resigns. I mean, you mentioned Anieli Nedved, um, Maurizio Arrivabene also resigned, although he'll continue as CEO as kind of like a bridge until they can appoint a new board in January. Um, and yeah, I mean, what I was hinting at on Twitter was not that I <laughs> clearly I don't know anything like beyond what we all know, but it just it just struck me like you know this publicly traded company is being accused of financial irregularities and false accounting and the board all of a sudden resigns. I mean, in most, I mean, maybe not most countries, but at least, you know, in this country, and I think certainly in Italy, you know, when you're a publicly traded company as a, as a director on a board, you've got fiduciary duties to those shareholders. So, I mean, by trying to piece out, maybe they're trying to save themselves some liability. I don't know. I'm I'm just um I'm just speculating. It's not legal advice by any means. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I mean her Federico Ferri, um, the I think the Sky Sports Italia director, he suggested that the board resigns so the club can try to quote defend itself from possible legal action. So I mean there's another um angle i guess is that maybe it's it's ownership driven in that they're trying to say look we did something we got rid of the people that were cooking the books like Mm -hmm. we're trying to you know make it seem like we're doing something about this now i don't know if that's too a little too late in the eyes of the italian judicial system it definitely remains to be seen but yeah everyone resigning at once is not not a good look um and um one final thing too is that I, I went onto the Juventus website because I wanted to read the statement without any of the, um, you know, media like additions and context and stuff to it. I just wanted to see what they said. Sure. Um, and w- the one thing that I thought was really interesting about this statement from Juventus Football Club is Daniela Marilungo. She's another one of the board, uh, one of the directors on the board, and. Um, I'm just going to quote it because I don't want to I don't want to paraphrase. Absolutely. She said it says, quote, Miss Marilungo justified her resignation by stating the impossibility for her to perform her office with due serenity and independence due to but not limited to the fact that she felt she had not been put in a position to fully act informed facing unquestionably complex matters. The board of directors took note of Miss Marilungo's comments without being in agreement with them. 
Nevertheless, the board of directors thanks Miss Mary Longo for her seven years at Juventus. So <laughs> Daniela Marilongo, who I believe is like a, a banker, I think, with like Bank of America. She's been in the finance industry for many years. I think from what I gathered from the statement, she was the only one that kind of justified her resignation this way and saying she wasn't fully informed enough to feel comfortable continuing. Um, and then for the board of directors to say they took note of it without being in agreement with her, like, it's just like, okay, everyone's <laughs> starting to point fingers at each other now, it would seem. And so um, I just thought that that was kind of interesting because, you know, Everyone knows who Aniele and Nedved are, but some of these lesser directors that are coming out and saying, I don't know what's going on, so I'm out too. Like, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure we'll get more information in, in the coming days. Yeah. It It is obviously, like, fans of football from the mid-2000s uh, will remember Juve going down in the Calcio Poli uh, match-fixing scandal. Um, which saw Juventus uh, so involved as to be relegated uh, forcibly from from Serie A. Um, and along with that, obviously, uh, you know, it was timed with a Italy World Cup win as well, which is quite the, yeah, it was quite the strange thing in 2006 um, to be going through that scandal and reaching the heights of a world cup, um, Italy, not present at this one, but there was some interesting, uh, comments or not. I, I shouldn't say comments, but there were some interesting connections being sort of pieced together, I guess, by, uh, various journalists and things simply commenting on how strange it is that it's about 18 months since the whole super league thing went down and down in flames eventually, um, and we now see Liverpool for sale reportedly by FSG Manchester United now on the market, uh, from the Glazer family. And now the entire Juventus board of directors has resigned in the face of like financial scrutiny. We know what's going on with Barcelona's, uh, finances. It feels like there's a bit of a super league bubble bursting here where maybe there was more in more personal investment from those involved with these clubs um, and the long-term viability of their financial practices, uh, like needing the Super League to be able to sustain some of these things. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I mean, it was strange enough that the, you know, the two biggest clubs in English football are for sale at the same time. Like that may never happen ever again. Um, so yeah, and couple that again, like you said, with what's going on on the continent, like, I mean, maybe, maybe there is something to that there. And I mean, again, um, in Juventus's case, in Manchester United's case as well, I, Manchester United are traded, aren't they on the stock they market? They are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's personal liability potentially for some of the people here making these decisions. And so, yeah. And, and like you said, um, there may also be personal interest as far as really needing the European Super League to come off and 18 months later that doesn't look like it's any further along um, I think that the fans of, of the world's game were pretty unequivocal in their rebuke of, of any type of uh, European Super League as were UEFA um, so yeah no that is interesting I hadn't even thought of that connection but um, yeah I mean 
in Juventus's case, like you said, you, it's hard not to think back on Calciopoli and like, here we go again, like <laughs> Juventus trying to cheat, like, you know, and, and again, we don't know if any of that is true yet. There's still just allegations, but um, clearly something's been found, um, I think it's clear anyway by by the relevant authorities for this to to occur well it we'll watch and see how things play out uh with this over the the coming weeks um juventus did postpone their shareholders meeting which was supposed to take place i believe this past week and is now taking Mm -hmm. place december uh 28th so right after the christmas season but um the postponement happened before the announcement of the the resignations, so um, buying themselves some time, I guess, in in some in some ways, uh, and wanting to get this board announcement out there before their shareholders meeting, and hopefully, I don't know. I guess maybe they were hoping for some grace from the shareholders if uh, <laughs> if the board the board uh, relinquishes their positions. But yeah, big things afoot well, at Juve and. Yeah. And even even if this hadn't happened, I mean, Juventus posted historic losses yeah. this past uh, this past year. Or so it's just they've been in the mud. <laughs> yeah, and not not you know I know they've picked up results you know the closer it got to the World Cup break, but um, not having a great season on the field necessarily. And there were some reports about they actually didn't have enough in the bank to be able to sack. Uh, Allegri <laughs> many were like expecting the uh him to be sacked and then now with some of these financial things it's like maybe they didn't have the ability to buy out his contract um well now it's also like who actually sacks him like who does that typically big <laughs> big decisions of a company are taken by the board yeah so <laughs> yeah it's it's an odd one for sure Interesting, interesting. We'll definitely keep an eye on it. Um, maybe some big things happening in Italy, but we do have the World Cup going on, um, the festival of football, as you described it. And Mika, uh, I wanted to start this off with a question we got on Twitter from our friend Fernie at Cool Fernie on Twitter. He asked, I feel this World Cup has been insanely good despite all of the nil nil score lines. Do you feel the same? So I think we'll start this off with. Has the World Cup been good? Um, yeah, I think so. I think it's been a different kind of good, like like Fernie clearly points out, in that it's not been um I think Russia was a lot more like chaotic. Uh, and there were a lot of like bangers like early. There were so many long shot goals and just like insane um like the opening game even was like insane with uh, I forgot who Russia played, but Saudi Arabia, um, Saudi Arabia. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's been very good. And, and some of the best games have been nil nils. I mean, you know, this happens every four years where, where journalists of other sports pop in to give their excruciatingly terrible takes on soccer. <laughs> and of course, England nil USA nil drew the ire of some of these like NFL reporters and things, which is like, okay, this was one of the best games I've seen mm-hmm. the United States play, um, despite not scoring. So yeah. And that's just one example. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's been very, very good. Um, very entertaining. Um, just a lot of like 
surprises too. I mean, obviously Saudi Arabia beating Argentina to to start out in their group was insane. Um and yeah, it's just been v- really a lot of fun. I've uh I yeah, I think I think what you've mentioned like the lack of ability of a lot of the traditional powers, I guess, to spend a lot of time in training camps prior to the world cup and, and really gain a lot of cohesion. I think it's opened the door for a lot of teams who maybe traditionally would have struggled, uh, against some of the bigger teams because they have, um, you know, if they have a clear tactical identity and a clear, you know, sometimes they can overcome what you would imagine is a, a superior, um, foe and i think i think uh in particular a couple of the results that you look at you know even japan's win over germany um morocco's win over belgium a couple days ago or i guess yesterday um all these games have have been like happening so quickly that it feels uh it feels like days and days have passed but um (laughs) but yeah i think it's been a feature of this world cup rather than a bug because we've seen we've seen uh more yeah just unpredictability but not in a not in a messy way necessarily just a uh just in a entertaining way <laughs> and and it, a lot of teams have had to work hard for what they've got um and it's just been yeah it, it it's been very entertaining i think one of the games that i had like the most fun watching was was also a draw which was netherlands ecuador to me was just like such a good watch and it ended one, one, you know, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything where you're going to be writing home about like the, uh, some of the games today, um, Mm. where the world cup did decide to get a little chaotic in the, you know, 5am on Eastern time or 3am your time, uh, (laughs) folks were waking up to watch, uh, Serbia and Cameroon play out a, a absolute thriller three, three, um, and uh, so, yeah, I think it's had a little bit of everything. Um, and maybe today's match day is a good example of that, where it was a couple of really kind of wild games with a lot of goals. And then Brazil and Portugal kind of having to work hard to to get some right. some results over the line, maybe getting a little bit of luck in Portugal's case. I might <laughs> might think I guess Brazil's too. It, what is it? A deflection off of uh, off of someone's. Uh, rear end into the goal. So. Kanji, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So I do think I do think it's been a good World Cup. I think quality wise, at times, like there are games that get a little bit all over the place. Um, but that certainly wasn't the case with Germany and Spain yesterday. And I wanted to call this game out in particular because. Watching the World Cup is, there, you know, there is a great feature in that smaller teams have a chance and maybe teams with lesser technical ability have the chance to upset teams with greater, you know, just greater skills, greater, greater names, greater ability. But Spain, Germany yesterday, it felt like a notch up in terms of the level that this game was being played at and you described it in our group chat as speed chess. Um, <laughs> talk me through what, what it made this game speed chess. And then uh, did you, did you enjoy this uh, kind of heavyweight group stage matchup yesterday? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely adored this match. Um, I mean, I call it speed chess, and I think I'm I'm probably not original in calling it that. I'm sure I probably heard it somewhere, but um, it was just such a high-level match, such a tactical battle, a technical battle as well. I mean, some of the best players in the world, some of the best young players in the world were on the pitch for both of these nations. Um, and, you know, there are two nations that I also think are going through a bit of transition um, in that they have, they you know, they're both world champions, but without some of those world champion players anymore uh, and ushering in new eras for both of these nations. So um, it was just really fascinating to see, of course, Jamal Musiala, who is just outrageous, um, Pedrian Gavi in the midfield for Spain, Dani Olmo, who I thought was fantastic, and then some of the older heads too, I mean, um, I think Jordi Alba was low-key, like Spain's best player. And I think actually him coming off cost them three points, but we'll get there. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just, it was really fascinating. And, you know, when, when you have two great coaching minds like Luis Enrique, who I love, um, and, and Hansi Flick, I mean, it just, everything lined up to make a really, really great match. And probably 1-1 is is fair after after all is said and done. Yeah, I think uh, their embrace, Hansi Flick and, and Luis Enrique at the end of the match was like, it felt right because it, it was just like this celebration of two like extremely talented teams fighting out this like technical and tactical battle. Um, mm. And it was just, it, it felt so, uh, I mean, I think you even said again in the group chat at one point, like it feels like this game is being played in like a 10 foot square yeah everyone was right on top of each other the pressing was was really good but then the like one touch to get out of each other's press like it was just it was so good um and again like this is another one that that someone who doesn't maybe watch soccer or football on a regular basis will say like one one like that's lame or i'm you yeah. know we, we were expecting like four three these big footballing nations but no i mean like this is one of the best one ones i've ever seen yeah. Yeah. The, you mentioned Musiala and I think for many who watch a decent amount of the Bundesliga and Bayern Munich, Musiala is no secret, uh, as you know, on the Spain side, Pedri and Gavi are no secret, you know, to the, to, to, you know, frequent viewers of Barcelona, but there is something about the world cup, um, that even for frequent viewers of those leagues and of those teams, like, you know, I think both of us see a fair amount of <laughs> games from Spain and Germany, even for us watching in the world cup adds a layer of context where you think, wow, this kid might be the real deal. And uh, I mean, I think in moments in this game, Musiala and Pedri in particular just show those qualities that will elevate them into those like stars of you know stars of the game in the coming years i think the maturity from both of them in really like crucial midfield roles is is so impressive i mean because i think it's different when you're a young like winger for example like you've got a lot less responsibility defensively and um you know otherwise out on the that wide area so like young wingers are exciting but like a young midfielder that's that's such a that's such a crucial area of the pitch and one where mistakes are are paid for dearly you know in terms of turnover and turnovers and things like that especially in in nowadays in in today's game where pressing is 
pretty much employed by everyone. So to see these young men like balling out in those crucial areas of the pitch, throw Jude Bellingham in there as well. I know we're not talking about England, yeah. but I mean, this generation of young midfielders is really, really something else. And Musiala, like just the way that he glides with the ball is just mm. like, he's just wonderful to watch. Um, and he gets an assist, I think for uh, Nicholas Fulkrug's goal um, for Germany. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's, he's superb. I think the only thing that maybe you could criticize, and again, he's still a kid is, you know, just the finishing ability, but I think that'll come with age. I think he's had some, some opportunities that perhaps he should be scoring, but, um, no, he's been, he's been fantastic. Yeah. A couple against Japan and then definitely one, uh, against Spain right before the, the equalizer eventually came, but yeah, Musiala there. There was a, a moment in the match where he, I mean, his close control is is quite ridiculous to be totally honest. And mm-hmm. um, he, there was, but I think people may focus on that and kind of his, he has that kind of um, slight build that he has that, um, and I hate to make like historical comparisons because it makes it seem like, a, but he has that kind of stuttering style like Thierry Henry had where he, will stand people up and just kind of like glide with the ball for a little bit. And then like is past you and it's, yeah. And it's not necessarily that he's at an all out sprint. It's just from, you know, over the course of, you know, three strides or three, three steps. He's, he's beyond you. Um, and just has that kind of like start stop feel of he stands you up and then, and then goes past you. Um, but he did it to, he dribbles in between at one point, uh, on the turn goes past Rodri and Sergio Busquets, who are both trying actively <laughs> to stop him. And Busquets ends up having to hack him down and take a yellow card. And that to me is just like, it, you put it in that context of the best defensive midfielder for Manchester city. And, you know, obviously Busquets maybe has lost a step, but still one of the best de- defensive midfielders ever to play in Sergio Busquets and he went past both of them uh in one <laughs> in one action which is um maybe just puts into context what a what a talent he is yeah absolutely and I mean on the other side of the pitch Gavi I mean I think we thought in the beginning of maybe the first half of the first half it seemed like Germany's tactics were hack him yeah, uh, I mean, I think Leon Goretzka was giving him a lot of hip checks out there, trying to stop him every time he would try to turn on the ball. And um, Pedri too, I thought was was a target as well because he he is of a similar kind of mold where he can glide past folks and 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 keep the ball stuck to his boot. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so much talent uh, coming through right now, and it's really exciting because it makes you wonder like what these players will be like at the next world cup, you know I mean? They're already doing well enough now, but like, I think there's a lot of teams that are like kind of in their infancy um, after big, big sides that have won everything like, like this Spain, like this Germany. So. So despite all those battles, those little technical battles, uh, the strikers end up making the difference. And you mentioned Jordi Alba. Uh, it's a, a lovely ball in for a, uh, actually underrated finish by Alvaro Morata who had really just come on the pitch and he flicks it with the outside of his boot um, first time over Manuel Neuer 
um, like lovely finish. And then at the other end, it's Nicholas Fulkrug who gets the equalizer for Germany, the Werder Bremen striker who was the injury replacement for Timo Werner. So, um, despite both teams starting strikerless and and having these kind of like intricate tactical battles in the midfield and and uh you know trying to negate each other or trying to figure out how to how to play uh it is the nines who who made the goal scoring difference in the end yeah i mean there's been a lot of sides in this world cup i feel like that are going strikerless and it is certainly a choice but um yeah eventually um, Luis Enrique brings on Morata, who he has always defended vehemently and and calls Spain's you know starting striker. So he comes on. The finish is outrageous, uh, like you said, set up by Jordi Alba, who I thought was really really good at the back, and then just to set that up to um, just shows he can still contribute at both ends of the pitch. But the finish is so good. I mean, I think this is what. I don't want to get too bogged down in like narrative because I think people do take it a little bit too far, but this is one of those finishes that if Morata's not thinking too hard about it, it's instinctive. He arrives at that, that near post and just flicks it. He knows what he's going to do, but he's not taking too many touches. He's not, he's not even been on the pitch long enough to like really think too, too hard about, about what he needs to do. And it's such a good finish. Um, and you know, one of the ways that you have to beat Manuel Neuer, cause any, anything less than extraordinary is not getting by him, even, you know, at his, his age, he's still a very good goalkeeper. So yeah, Morata's finish was, was excellent. And then I think, again, like I said, at the top of our, our discussion here, I think Jordi Alba going off for Spain, I think actually does contribute to, um, them conceding the equalizer to Nicholas Fulkrug cause, Jordi Alba goes off, on comes Alejandro Valde, who was a last-minute call-up as well, um, because I think it was Jose Gaya who got injured. I forget. I think Mm. so. Um, So Alex Valde comes on, and it's down his side that Germany charge, uh, and he's a little bit like out of position, out of line, and um, yeah, Fulkrug takes the ball and smashes it into the top of the net. Um, and it's just such a good finish. And I think that's now two goals and three Germany caps for Nicholas Fulkrug. So, I mean, talk about a German efficiency, right? right. So, <laughs> um, you know, not a player that I, I would venture not a lot of people have heard about. I I've heard of him, but I'd be lying to you if I said I watched Werder Bremen every week, but he has been, um, the Bundesliga's top goal scorer as far as Germans are concerned. Um, and he is an out and out number nine and, uh, Germany fans, I think have been crying out for that, that, uh, focal point. Well, speaking of, uh, our resident Germany fan, Eric Bauer, uh, <laughs> at about 27 on Twitter asked, will Flick start a damn striker in the third game? What deals with the devil do I need to make to have full Krug start up top? Do you he think, to. do you think he, he will? To. He, I don't know if he will, but I know that he has to. Like, <laughs> I, I think Thomas Muller, like, I get why you bring him. I get why he goes on the plane. He's a glue guy, and he is very talented. But he's getting on a bit, and I thought that he was a non-factor in this game, for the most part. Um, and and that's the question, right? Is if you're going to start Nicholas Fulkrug, then you have to sacrifice one of these players. Yeah. And I think Nabry still offers you enough going forward, and is is constantly giving the defender something to think about 
because of his pace. Right. Um. So I think I think you have to start full Krug. I don't think you're taking out Musiala, obviously. Um, uh, Gundogan, Goretzka, Kimmich, like they're all very good players. The defense is not really something we need to think about. But Muller, like for me, he's the one that yeah. needs to make way. Um, because I d- I just don't think he offers enough at this point in this tournament. Um, and I don't know if that's harsh or if that's like a hot take, but I think he has to start full Krug, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they play Costa Rica in this final game, and we know based on how they played against more, well, I'll say Japan, because I don't know if you could describe anything that Costa Rica did against Spain as defensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think, like you said, I think it's Muller who, who's sacrificed, um, and I think Full Krug should start. I say you'd probably play Musiala behind Full Krug, and I would go if he's healthy enough. I would say that um, that Zane should should start on the wing, and you should really like you should really try to move that Costa Rica defense around. Um, Kimmich, I would almost, I would almost venture to say, like you should play him at right back and go Gundogan and Goretzka in the center because the game will, the game won't really be about uh, controlling midfield because Costa Rica does not want the ball and they will allow you to have it. So it's really just like how many weapons can you fit up front and can you just bat batter the door down. and right. uh, well, and, I and think also, Tilo Kera the... has has struggled, so that's actually yeah. not the worst shout. I think I, I think Volkrug is the blunt instrument that <laughs> that you can use to <laughs> to take down a, a team like Costa Rica. But he also showed, a, a, I mean, that was a lovely finish. Um, so on the, good uh, on the goal against Spain. So um, the uh, yeah, I think you just need the with the way that Germany's been playing, um, doing a lot of good things, but not necessarily finding enough goals, um, to, to comfortably advance, um, as I think was their downfall against Japan, not putting the game away when it was, when it was there for the taking. Um, I think, you know, they obviously can't afford a similar slip up against Costa Rica or they will be out. So, um, so yeah, I think I think they need to to probably start a striker. Um and uh yeah, uh so with with all that being said, I know we spent some time on on Germany Spain, but what are some other matches from this these first couple of rounds of of the group stage as we are set to start this final round of group stage games. Um, what, what are some of your favorite matches so far that have, have been played out? Yeah. I mean, it is hard to look past Germany, Spain. I think it was certainly the most like high quality, um, matchup. What else? I mean, England, USA was really good. I mean, as a USA fan, um, it was really heartening to see, such a young USA team take it to England and uh, look very competitive. And of course, you know, we don't score, neither do England, but um, it was just really cool to see 
Musa, Adams, and McKenna just dominate that midfield full of world class players for yeah. England. Um, and uh, and Matt Turner was also good in goal. And I just thought it was really encouraging um, from us. Obviously, would have loved to score, would have loved to win because I think it it really puts us in a a win a win or go home situation against Iran. But I thought that game was very good. Um, you know, from a technical standpoint too, it just didn't have the goals. Um, but yeah, a lot of great players on the pitch for that one. Um, Japan, Germany was fun just because like, I was not expecting that. I, I, yeah. I also like watching Japan as well. And, um, I mean, Moriyasu, the, the Japanese manager has been criticized a lot for playing way too conservative, uh, especially with this generation of Japanese players that he has at his disposal. Um, so I thought it was, um, I thought it was encouraging to see him like make some tactical tweaks to get Japan on the attack a little bit more without giving up too much space and, and stunning Germany um, to, to win two one. So um, that was a great game. Um, I don't like that people were treating Japan like some kind of like provincial side. Like they're one of the best sides in Asia. <laughs> like it wasn't, <laughs> it was certainly an upset, but like it wasn't that deep. Like yeah. it wasn't Saudi Arabia, Argentina levels. Right. Uh, but, um, but either way, like that was, that was a very good one. Um, so yeah, those are just some of the ones that come to my mind, but I mean, there were others too. I mean, Argentina, Mexico was a trash game as far as football, but as far as narrative, (laughs) it was absolutely outstanding. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, (laughs) there's different reasons to like all these different matches, I guess. But what about you? What's more important, the football or the narrative? Like, Truly, like, <laughs> what are we here for, <laughs> if not narrative? <laughs> um, I do genuinely think. I guess in terms of in terms of a result that I was really rooting for that happened, um, mm. Morocco beating Belgium was one that, yeah, Morocco toiled against Croatia and they were so so good, and they deserve something out of that game and and to get a point was I think people after the Morocco match were like, oh, Croatia's like, they don't, they just don't have it and they're not really, you know, they're just not really what they used to be. And Morocco kind of benefited from playing this, you know, aging Croatia side. I mm. think Morocco and Croatia both showed that, hey, actually these might've been the best two teams in the group. Um and uh and i think if north african teams have a long history of going to world cups and underperforming and i don't know i don't know why that is but when you think back to like some very talented north african teams the i mean egypt algeria Morocco, Tunisia, like you could you could point to any of them and point to a recent World Cup where they've gone in with high hopes and not made it out of the group. And I think this Morocco team uh getting this result against Belgium just felt one it was supremely deserved. Like they outplayed Belgium, they played in just a great uh they had a great game plan, they executed it. Um and I always love too when it is not necessarily the big names that make the impact. Although Ziyech 
uh, on that final goal, um, the the dagger, if you will, uh, his run across and and then the cutback was was lovely. But um, you know the the player scoring it, Zakaria Abuklal, um, playing for Toulouse, um, and then uh, well, I guess Roman Saiz actually got credited with their first, which I, I was surprised to see, but. Abdel Hamid Sabiri was the was the goal scorer uh, or seeming goal scorer uh, who whipped in the free kick uh, on their opener that that caught Courtois out and um, he plays at Sampdoria and so I think like mm. it wasn't you know the big big names uh, necessarily who were who were making the difference and it's always nice to see those sorts of players um, have a big impact and to see a North African team like put themselves in a really great position to advance um, in a group that they absolutely weren't favorites to get out of. And Canada has actually, you know, exited despite all of the, you know, goodwill and I mean, good performance from Canada. So it's like, you know, Morocco, Morocco have just done a hell of a job to, to make it to the final match day with the chance of advancing uh, in a group that includes both Belgium and Croatia. And obviously I know, there's some unrest potentially in the Belgium camp and it seems like things are <laughs> going a little France 2010, um, on them, but, um, well, every, every, there's always a team that has a full on meltdown and, and it happens to be Belgium. So. <laughs> I um, did not have De Bruyne, De Bruyne, Jan Vertonghen, uh, throw down on my bingo card for this world cup. Oh my God, Belgium's a, a mess. This, yeah, and we'll get on to the other question we had from Fernie about our curse. But um, <laughs> I'm glad you called out Morocco, though, because this side, I think, I think there is. You you pointed out the underperforming of of certain like African nations, um, and I think too sometimes in these competitions there's like a an inferiority complex almost um in terms of like how they play <laughs> um right i think what game was it that portugal portugal played oh man who was it ghana i think uh in in their first match and it just felt like ghana were waiting for portugal to like win <laughs> or to score and then went like and and sometimes you see these african sides do that and it's like with morocco i don't really get that vibe like i get the vibe that they do want to win Right. Now, that being said, they are very, very stingy. I'm looking at their fixtures. They have not conceded in like six or seven matches. Their their manager, who was appointed like shortly before the World Cup. In the summer, yeah. Yeah. He uh he has not conceded a goal as manager. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> While still, and they're not like a negative side. No, like they're playing with flair. They've got Hakimi out wide. They have, um, he's brought Hakim Ziyech back into the fold after yeah. I think Ziyech had a, a falling out with the previous manager. Which, thank God, because we wouldn't want that player to be denied, um, you know, a chance at glory with his nation. He's so talented. I think he gets the assist against Belgium and for one mm -hmm. of the goals. So yeah, um, I'm glad you called out Morocco because they are. They they have been impressive and and shout out to their fans too. I mean, yeah, they they made it seem like a home game um, yeah. <laughs> against Belgium. So yeah, they created a hell of an atmosphere. 
Um, and then I will say, <laughs> I will say, I actually, I mean, I think France, Denmark was another one um, where two, one French win, like in hindsight, you kind of, you, you maybe think, yeah, France have like gotten the job done. Um, but Denmark were really good, were really good in this game too, and gave them a, a hell of a fight. And, uh, Lloris actually makes a really good save at one, one that keeps France from going behind. Uh, so I, I think, um, maybe a little bit, uh, tougher for France than anticipated. And, uh, for Denmark, I just, um, it, you know, it's another one of those where, uh, a a quality team that maybe doesn't get the the fanfare of others um is uh showing what they can do as well um and then i mentioned the the netherlands ecuador match i actually like (laughs) it's a little bit frustrating because i think ecuador deserved to win this game and uh i think they had a second goal marked off by var if i don't if i am remembering correctly Mm. um but they absolutely dominated the second half. And uh, I just love that this this team, which, you know, uh, Brighton and Hove, Brighton and Hove, Ecuador. Um, <laughs> the, Equa Brighton. Yeah, <laughs> they're uh, they're showing out. And I, I also I mean, I think um, the fact that Enter Valencia just continues to do it. Um, it's just a cool story because he's. He's just, he shows up to World Cups and just does his thing. Uh, he just always scores goals in the World Cup, and uh, mm-hmm. seems like seems like it's his birthright. But I do love how uh, the likes of Caicedo, Estupinian, Incapier, like these guys have have really shown that they belong. Um, you Absolutely. know, on the same field as as a team like the Dutch. And then uh, I guess we can get on to. Because I was about to get into my my next question, but who who are your favorite players so far? Because obviously we talked about our favorite matches, but who has stood out to you, or or who do you just enjoy watching um, in this in this group stage? Hmm, okay, I kind of wonder if maybe we have the same player, but we'll see. So <laughs> I, I I've picked two, yeah, um, but I'll go first with the guy that showed out today in, in Mohamed Kudus of Ghana. He was um, one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I figured Kudus has been incredible. I mean, he plays for Ajax at club level. Obviously, um, if you play at Ajax as an attacker, you've got some level of sauce about you. Uh, he scored two good goals against South Korea today in a wild match. <laughs> um, and he was excellent against Portugal as well. And actually that's, you know, I spoke about Ghana just a bit ago and how I felt like they were like doing things to like bring Portugal onto them, bring pressure onto them. And there was just like this inferiority going on about them. And his sub, his sub, I think, cost them the game because um, he was balling against Portugal. Um, but luckily, you know, he's able to score two goals against South Korea, like I said. And I think he's just been incredible. I mean, he's clearly a player that can play anywhere in the front line, even as an attacking midfielder, certainly knows where the goal is. Um, and he's only like t- early twenties. I think he was born in like 2000. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 21, 22. Uh, and he's, he's been excellent. Um, but, um, that's probably the more obvious shout. My other shout, um, is Strahinja Pavlovic of Serbia. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Red Bull Salzburg, I think for, for club. Um, 
He had a headed equalizer goal against Cameroon today in a wild match that Serbia really should have won. Yeah. Um, but they uh they shipped two and he got injured in the fifty fifth minute. And that's after that they shipped two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um yeah, they were up three one and then conceded. Um he had a really admirable defensive effort against Brazil as well. Him and Milenkovic, I think, were were really, really good. But um he stands out because he's so young and to to be playing as as a defender at this level um and playing as well as he has been um has been really impressive huge frame on him like he's he just looks like um a player that will definitely rock up to the Premier League or something or the, or City at some point he looks very very promising indeed both both good shouts and yeah that Serbia Cameroon game was something else um the uh Vincent Abubakar coming on and having the audacity to (laughs) scoop chip scoop yeah that was insane and everyone was just like surely not even he was like I think it's offside because there's no way I scored that and it was it was given and yeah it was amazing amazing Uh, yeah lovely lovely goal um I know I've been waxing lyrical about this Moroccan team but there is a player who I think outside of they have all the attacking talent. They have probably two of the best fullbacks in football, bar none, with Mazraoui and Hakimi. <laughs> and yeah. uh, but the player that I wanted to call out uh, is Sofian Amrabat, who is the younger brother of Nordine Amrabat, who many many people will remember. Uh, of he played for Watford uh, for a period of time. Watford. Yeah. Um, but Sofian uh, plays at Fiorentina, and he is at the base of of Morocco's midfield and he's been absolutely all over the place in this in this world cup in terms of um like he doesn't do anything flashy he's not going to pop up on the score sheet like typically but against Croatia with the midfield that Croatia has literally some of the best midfielders <laughs> ever Ballon d'Or winner <laughs> yeah Modric <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brozovic and Kovacic he's patrolling like that midfield and kept them relatively in check um and then against Belgium made Kevin De Bruyne look you know basically kept him out of the game um and uh so the fact that that he was uh he's been so pivotal in both of these performances and just locking down what the other team does. And he has a uh, real ability in terms of like receiving the ball, turning and being able to play it into the feet of, um, of the attackers. So I, I, I love what Amrabat has been able to do. Um, and uh, I mean, 26, he's still got a lot left in his legs for, for a defensive midfielder. So um, be interested to see if he, if he uh, draws any attention, um, aside from aside from Fiorentina um here in the near future um but yeah he's been he's been wonderful the first couple of games of this world cup and then one maybe more obvious one but i i, I wanted to give a shout out uh because it is a a player from a like say lower tier club but a you know below <laughs> below the super clubs playing for Argentina Enzo Fernandez um absolutely changes the game against Mexico um, in a game where the weight of what was happening seemed to be getting to Argentina 
in a pretty significant way. Like the, I mean, there are obviously scenes of um, the the Argentinian sideline where Scaloni is is having to like comfort Pablo Imar, who's having like a legitimate panic attack, and not not to like. It's not even no, I'm, for real. It's not even jokes. Like it's just he's legitimately having a panic attack on the sideline, and and uh, the weight of of what was going on and the potential of a group stage exit was was looming over this Argentina side. And Enzo Fernandez comes on and facilitates Messi's opener. Obviously, the you know Messi Messi's goal is Messi's, and and it's not like uh, it's still an insane finish and and all of these things that we've come to expect from Messi. Um, but Fernandez also scores the goal to, uh, you know, give Argentina the comfort of that, of that two nil lead and, um, just really like lifted a weight off of, you know, Messi's shoulders in many ways, like Messi got it mostly off of his back, but, uh, but, but Enzo and, uh, you know, coming on and making that difference. And then, him being, you know, one of the less heralded players in terms of he's been insane at Benfica, um, like absolutely wonderful player, but doing it in Portugal, which like a lot of people would say is a step down, you know, from some of the the levels that people are playing at. Um, and he just he made such a huge difference for Argentina um, in in a uh, time when they needed somebody to come in and give him a spark because it was um it just felt like one of those games um and then he comes on and and they run away or I say run away but they run out um to no winners so Enzo is one for me and I think someone that increasingly Scaloni is going to get pressure around like how's he not starting <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean Argentina they're they're another team like Brazil that I think are really spoiled for choice um and it might also kind of be like a bad thing because it's like how do you not a bad thing but like a, a good problem if you will like how do you fit all these players in but yeah Enzo Fernandez surely gave a good account of himself with that goal and the audacity of youth man like these <laughs> these youngins like they don't have the scar tissue of a Messi or a Neymar who have been burned in this competition before and yeah you know the pressure on Argentina has been absolutely immense I think you and I both picked them to win so that just goes to show you like the whole world is wanting this um this this fairy tale ending I guess to to Messi's career um cuz it is seemingly you know in its twilight um and so yeah for the young guy to come on immediately after the goat and and score that amazing goal um yeah very very impressive and spare a thought for our mexico fans out there like absolutely brutal tournament i think they're they're not mathematically out right but they are like um pretty much like the um yeah they they need a win over Saudi Arabia and they need Poland to beat Argentina Argentina. or they would need Poland to lose by enough goals and them to like really hammer Saudi. Um, Mm. 
which as we know is not like a given yeah like if mexico um, were to beat saudi arabia by three clear goals and poland were to lose by two or more then they'd be fine but yeah um i mean what do you i mean i feel like we should talk about mexico a little bit because yeah. what do you what do you make of them as a team i mean obviously tata martino he's someone that that Mexico fans by and large have wanted to leave for a very long time. Um, this team is just toothless. Yeah. Um, they've not scored a goal in this tournament. Uh, and they just look for like for such a football crazy nation yeah. to see this national team run out. And it's not that there's bad players there. It's just like, they're just toothless. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, and I mean I think I think this is a thing that goes it goes back further than we probably even are giving credit for cuz I feel like in qualifying they were also pretty much like a you know they'd win 1-0 uh 2-0 every once in a while like they didn't score a lot of goals in qualifying um, they may be beat up on a couple of the smaller teams, but I mean, it felt like they were a really like a one goal a game, maybe two if you're lucky sort of team. And yeah. it's not a problem that they ever solved um, or like even really tried different stuff with like they kind of just use the same players, the same system. And I think they've been relying on the fact that they are like pretty defensively solid um they don't give up a ton but they they just don't score enough goals and uh and yeah i think in both of these games like the poland the poland match there's probably an argument to be made that they like maybe deserved something mm. out of it um but i think when you look at the roster selection from from tata like he chooses to bring the likes of like Funes Mori. Um, he brings Raul Jimenez, which like question marks whether he's, you know, obviously he's come on in these games, but he's clearly not fit enough to play 90 minutes or isn't being chosen to play 90 minutes. And it just, it just raises the question of why these players, especially like Funes, the likes of Funes Mori, who hasn't come into either game. It's like, why, why is he in the squad? Um, as a as a striker in a team that's struggling to score goals ahead of potential like other goal scorers um who could have been difference makers and i just i think yeah mexico fans are asking questions and i think they're probably right to be because uh this was a a known issue and there wasn't really anything done to try to to try to figure it out yeah, well, and, and when you think about the fact that Tata Martino left Santiago Jimenez at home, the Feyenoord striker, who this season in 12 matches, only four of which were starts, by the way, he has two goals and one assist. Yeah. Um, and he scored a couple goals last season as well. I think six goals overall in 18 appearances. You know, in a decent league, in a league that has promoted strikers on to the very highest levels of the games. Yeah. I mean, looking at you, Luis Suarez, Ricardo Pepe having a good time in the Eddie Divisi 2. It's just a great league for attackers to really develop. 
Yeah. Um, and to not bring him is for me, like hindsight being 2020, like it, it, even when the, the lineup dropped, it was just like, really? Yeah. Like he's, he could be that, like that, uh, that wild card, you know, when the likes of Funes Morena broken, Raul Jimenez are not doing it for you. Right. Um, and you know, that Mexico is another team that that's like went no striker playing Alexis Vega and, and Irving Lozano up top. They're not strikers, good players, but they're not strikers. So yeah, it's just been brutal for, for Mexico fans. Um, and I don't know. I think they suffer from similar things in the sense that, like, the talent that they have at their disposal may not be making it to the very top of the game for reasons that are similar to the United States and the fact that, like, you know, going into an academy can be expensive. Clubs are unwilling to sell to Europe, things like that. Yeah. So, um, it's just a shame because I really do think Mexico should be much more of, like, a powerhouse yeah no i i agree and i think uh unfortunately it uh in terms of Concacaf, because i know you know i know there's there's differing opinions out there when it comes to like u.s fans they uh, oftentimes like u.s there are u.s fans who will root for mexico's you know downfall at the world cup or and i even <laughs> saw i even saw some some uh like preying on canada's uh downfall which was which was interesting but um <laughs> i uh oh, i i think as a u.s fan like it it feels like you should be until the point in which you're playing, you know, obviously famously in the past, you know, 2002, I'm thinking about like the, we played around a 16 game against Mexico. So like, obviously you're yeah. not going to be pulling for, you know, Hey, we're all just CONCACAF buddies at that point. But when sure. you're in separate groups, it feels like you should be pulling for those teams to advance because it advances the, the federations, like the, I guess, stock like and yeah. and people taking you seriously because i think um you know anytime that a, a whole federation shows up to the world cup and everybody just shows their ass it's like this isn't good <laughs> like this isn't good for the next four years of us being taken seriously where it's like if the u.s is going to celebrate the thing you know things like gold cup wins and these and all these sorts of things it's like can you if we went to the world cup and costa rica got just embarrassed and uh or well maybe costa rica is like our our best hope now i don't know like that's uh, going into the <laughs> final but you know us and, and and costa rica being us with two draws costa rica has the only win of any concacaf team mexico hasn't scored um and canada's already been mathematically eliminated so um it's just not not the showing that I don't think there's many other federations that would be like, yeah, like I'm glad that our rivals sure. are, are shitting the bed on the, on the world stage. Yeah. I mean, personally, like I, I can certainly understand why people do not like Mexico if you're a USA fan, but me personally, when we aren't playing them, like I'm not that bothered. Like I'm actually kind of curious to see how they do. Yeah. Like, and um, I'm on record being a big Cesar Montes fan. Um, and, and there's actually a lot of Mexico players that I'm like, please, like, like, please come to Europe because, like, 
there's just potential there that like these Liga MX clubs just they price them out of moves and it's really really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> um but you know, that's for a whole other podcast I think. <laughs> Tecatito is I just I wish he was there. Ugh. Um that that yeah. one hurts um for Yeah. for everyone, I would say. Um <laughs> so yeah, Mexico having a a tough go of it. We say Canada's out, Costa Rica somehow go into the final day despite a seven nil loss on the <laughs> in the opener japan memed just enough um after beating germany so that was a horrible game <laughs> costa rica game. like it's so funny how in a lot of these games where it's like underdog wins like people will be very complimentary of the other team like all the pundits and all the all the like podcasts and stuff i listened to were just shitting on costa rica for like not playing football <laughs> and just waiting for just waiting for something against japan but anyways um we uh we did get called out by fernie um you mentioned our predictions of argentina winning winning the world cup and fernie quote tweeted our predictions and said are you the new drake curse um, because <laughs> I have what a Belgium Argentina final, and you had an Uruguay uh Argentina, Argentina final, and uh Belgium not looking likely. I'll just say that um <laughs> they're having a meltdown. Uh, Uruguay losing to Portugal today, although I think they're bottom of their group now. They are, and they actually um I think they need. Uh yeah, I mean basically they need Portugal to beat Ghana. Um or wait, sorry. They need South Korea to beat no. They're playing South Korea. They need to beat South Korea. No, that's not right. What the hell am I thinking? <laughs> okay, Uruguay plays Ghana. So Uruguay needs to beat Ghana and Portugal needs to beat South Korea for them to advance advance so, so it's, it's not possible. out of the it's not out of the question yeah well let's i mean let's talk about our predictions and what possessed you i guess to pick belgium because this would have been like this would have slapped like 2014 2018 <laughs> but you went with belgium making it to a final and losing to argentina for this edition yeah. what was the rationale so it was in in all things it's about the path and that's where like it was more so like how things shaped up once Belgium, because I really did think Belgium would make it out of this group. Like I, I, mm. I, I banked on an underperformance from Morocco. Like I really <laughs> like, this has been such a theme that I'm like, no dummy picks North African teams to make it out of the group. Like I fell into that <laughs> trap in 2018 and we got, you know, we got like Wabi Khazri making the VAR shit you know to the camera and whatever like there's all kinds of um all kinds of stuff going on there and then um so i kind of took it for granted that it would be belgium coming out of the group and then each matchup as i looked at it i'm kind of like i think they could win this like with and i think maybe most of all i put stock in kevin de bruyne's form right now like mm. manchester city kevin de bruyne with his like if he's playing at that level feels like a player that can take over a world cup like in the way that maybe like um 
like a Messi or a James Rodriguez, like could Hamas, like how James was who I was thinking. Yeah, of. Yeah. Like where they took over the world cup and just kind of made it their world cup. And I almost thought that De Bruyne would do that. And it mm. actually, the opposite has happened where he's so pissed that he's not playing with city that he's just refusing to play. Like <laughs> he's just like, I'm just not going to do anything. Well, um, and then he came out with that extraordinary quote. We're too old to win the World Cup. Or we're too old. We're, we have which, no like, chance to win the World Cup. Which, like, true, but <laughs> do you say that? Like, I don't really know that you do. Um, but the, it, it seems like Belgium's camp is very, very unhappy. And it seems like this is the end of the line for Roberto Martinez. And people, I see people, like, memeing the, like, golden generation thing. And, like, okay, maybe there's, maybe it was grating to say that. But I think there generally was a golden generation for Belgium. Like at one point they had prime Hazard, Lukaku and De Bruyne. Now this time around Hazard is finished. Like mm-hmm. it's genuinely embarrassing to watch him play. I can't believe Tor- he is playing. That's my it's other so... big thing. Like why is Martinez even putting him out there? I, I don't know. It's <laughs> embarrassing. Like I, it's cringe watching <laughs> it. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't have that turn anymore. Like he used to that change of pace. No, um, Lukaku is obviously not like fully fit, and then like you said, De Bruyne is like clearly disgruntled about something. So yeah, it hasn't worked out um, for them. Argentina right. can still potentially make a run. Like it's it's on a knife's edge for them right now. But um, yeah, my Uruguay pick, like I was kind of the same. Like my my rationale was like they are going to like terrorize their way to a final. <laughs> Like, yeah. I thought, like, I guess I didn't realize how past it Luis Suarez is. Like, I know he's playing back in Uruguay now, but I didn't realize he never, he doesn't move anymore. I <laughs> wasn't aware. <laughs> the man don't run. <laughs> no, like, I was not aware of his game at this point. Um, <laughs> Edison Cavani tries his best. Darwin Nunez, like, he had one shot today, I think. Um, and it was, like, a long-range effort on the ground that really didn't do which is crazy to- because like his output for Liverpool is he's basically shooting a shoot yeah like shot monster all the time like his his volume is off the charts and I think yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing for Uruguay is they're kind of in like this crossroads now where they need to move on from Cavani and Suarez and really make it Darwin Nunez's yeah. team or Maxi yeah. Gomez's team whatever whoever plays better I think it'll be Darwin but um I've been disappointed with um Fede Valverde, like I kind of thought he would have a James Rodriguez World Cup and yeah. like take it over and like be Real Madrid's Fede Valverde. He's playing in midfield, not as you know a wide player like he does for Madrid nowadays. But it's really been Rodrigo Bentancur who's been showing out um, and trying to like do it all himself. And clearly, like that's not how you win a World Cup, let alone like make it to a final. So Uruguay, while you just told me now they've got a mathematical chance. Um, I think they still have we'll a see. decent chance of making it out of the group, to be honest, because Portugal yeah. Portugal winning that last game is not is not out of the question. Sure. Yeah. I just don't know if they make it all the way to the final, but we'll see. No, I I uh, truly um, like curses upon Portugal for uh, and who's even playing in goal for Portugal? Jose saw who's who's playing in 
Uh, Diogo Costa. Oh, that's right. Diogo Costa. Curses be upon Diogo Costa for saving <laughs> Bentancur's. That run that Bentancur made today. I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't like Rodrigo Bentancur. He's played for two of my least favorite teams, Juve and Spurs. Like, I don't <laughs> particularly like him. But that Maisie run today where he went, he, like, with the flip-flap on the edge of the box, left to right, and ends up... He ran from halfway, ends up one-on-one with Diogo Costa. If he scores that, it's one of the greatest goals ever scored in the World Cup, period. Like... Yeah. Like, yeah. it's unbelievable. Um, and <laughs> from a player who's known most for being like a good, you know, solid midfielder, like not, not a guy known for his attacking prowess necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, curses be upon Diogo Costa. I re- rebuke <laughs> him for denying <laughs> us that, that goal. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, we saw probably one of the worst handball penalties that will be awarded in this World Cup because Absolute it's just shit, not, yeah. it's just not like IFAB came out and said, like, this is not uh, like if it hits the arm that is trailing on the ground because you're supporting your body weight or whatever, like it's not a penalty and they just gave it anyways on VAR. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think, off, I think the only topic, team who looks... <laughs> I think the only team that looks like genuinely serious is France, <laughs> which like, yeah, we like, it's so hard to win two world cups in a row. So for them, like, I know Brazil are also, they've also got two wins in the bag, but I think they've had to toil. Like, and I said that about group G is like any group with Switzerland in it, you're going to work. <laughs> and yeah. not only that, but Serbia as well. Like I know Serbia don't have a win, but like, you're gonna fucking work for your points. <laughs> you better work, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that being said, like, yes, I know Brazil are, are top. They've not conceded. They've got two wins, but I think they've had to work a lot harder. For France, it feels like light work. Like, mm. and Bobby's doing his thing. Antoine Griezmann in this like yeah. withdrawn role is chef's kiss. Like yeah. he's been fabulous. But anyway, in your yeah. in your scenario, speaking of Brazil, in your scenario where they have to play Portugal in that round of 16, like I don't love that matchup for Brazil because por- mm. this Portugal team. Terrorists, every last one of them. <laughs> and and they're just the type of team that would come out with a one nil win against Brazil who have 35 shots. Oh, God. <laughs> and Diogo Costa, like you said, like. Out, outrageous goalkeeper right now in great form yeah. so yeah yeah i mean i wanted that one for narrative because of the diogo dalit like imperialism tweet <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but um we'll see um well that that does lead us the final match day is upon us and i guess we could almost just do a super quick like breakdown of the groups and like what matters i guess um what games matter so group a netherlands qatar is a is a wash but ecuador senegal is basically a playoff for a a spot in the knockouts and i absolutely love how this is shaping up yeah yeah no this is gonna be a good one i think i give the edge to ecuador just because I think that um, 
I mean, player for player, I, I just like them better. I like their midfield a little bit better. I think Caicedo is a really, a really good player. I think Estupiñana has been amazing. Uh, Incapié, like you said. I mean, Senegal do have African champions, of course, in this side. But um, I just think Ecuador are are on a wave right now. They're on a, they're on a vibe, and I think they'll go through. I think Senegal sans Mane might be. Yeah. too much in a high pressure situation like this and that's a with Mane, i would say senegal almost certainly but um mm-hmm. but yeah without it's a little bit tougher to call although again talented side but ecuador do seem to have quite a bit about them this time around and i uh i i think i do fancy them we'll come on to group b in a little bit because i think we want to spend a lot more time on on u.s iran um tomorrow's kickoff not um, iran Um, the uh group d a little bit less interesting although it is kind of a playoff situation between denmark and australia um with uh with denmark yeah if denmark win they're through if australia wins they're through um and a draw would be enough to for australia to go through um unless Tunisia beat France, in which case Tunisia would, would leapfrog them both. Um, so. Which that's not happening, but it is pretty cool that Australia are in control of their destiny because they, yeah. they're very proud of making it to this tournament, but they don't ever really do much. So yeah, um, that, that win against Denmark was, or against, who was it? Tunisia. Tunisia yeah. Yeah. It was huge. So. Yeah, that felt more like it for like a North African team going and losing to a team that needed a playoff to make it to the World Cup at all. So um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Group C, as we said, this is Mexico, Saudi Arabia is the big one. So um, it really is like Mexico playing for their lives and hoping that Argentina beat Poland because if Poland find a way, the only thing that scares me on this final day for for uh like well both argentina and mexico is the fact that um well poland on four points and robert Lewandowski has now scored a world cup goal i would be concerned as argentina going into this one because confident Lewandowski is not something we've seen for poland in a world cup and Mm. basically the second he scored his first he looked very likely to grab another against saudi Absolutely. arabia and i i really worry now that that monkey's off his back that he he might actually go off against argentina yeah no yeah that that's a very real threat and for poland to be top of this group is actually kind of incredible because they're one of those teams that are like bad for no reason like yeah <laughs> they have good players and they're just very meh so for them to be top here is is impressive, but yeah, that'll be that'll be a cracking one. Yeah, um, in Group F, Croatia, Belgium is basically uh, Morocco will be hoping that Croatia win, mm. um, but really Morocco's in control of their own destiny as well because if they beat Canada, they're in, um, regardless of of uh, Belgium's result. So, um. I guess in theory, <laughs> a confident Morocco would want Belgium to beat Croatia, and then that way Morocco wins the group. So there you go. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, they're in control. And if they can take care of business against Canada, who have already been eliminated, but that is, that feels like a little bit of a trap because it's like, there's no point in, you know, it's not like a team that's already been relegated. I don't know. It's like it, it there's a, right. there's a pride aspect to it's, it is the world cup still. Right. Yeah. Um, groupie, this is, I mean, obviously you and I will be glued to each of these matches <laughs> like at work. Oh, um, Spain, Japan, Costa Rica, Germany, Germany is in with a win and a Japan loss. Um, Germany is not in with a draw against Costa Rica and Germany is not in with a win and a Japan win unless that Japan win and their win over Costa Rica is like significant. They would need, they would need Japan to win and they would need to win by like five or six. Oh man, I think this is the end of the road for Samurai Blue. Like, I just think that Spain are gonna like blow them away. Um, (laughs) you know, but then again, I don't know because I think the 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 result against Costa Rica is almost like a false result. Like, it's almost like giving Saudi Arabia Argentina because I think that the 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 lineup was ridiculous. Like, some of the choices that that Moriasu made, I was like, what are you doing? Like, we could easily win this Costa Rica match if you played like good players. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, but I think Spain's just going to have too much for Japan, even their best 11. Um, they'll probably defend very deep um, and then try to hit him on the counter, which I mean, I guess, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. Um, and the final day of the group stage uh, in group H, as we mentioned, Portugal, South Korea, um, and then Uruguay, Ghana, I eventually got there, but, um, this is another one where a South Korea win could put them in unless Ghana beats Uruguay. So it's really Portugal and Ghana are in control of their destinies. Um, and South Korea and Uruguay will both be hoping for a win and help, um, as, uh, they won't want it to come down to goal difference. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. but all four teams still with a chance, Portugal and Ghana in the driver's seat, but South Korea and Uruguay both with a good shot. And I, I personally think Uruguay, I, I like Nunez in this sort of game. Um like if it starts to get a little chaotic, that's where I think Nunez can can really cause some problems for Ghana. Oh yeah, I think this is a Nunez game for sure because Ghana Ghana concede quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he'll he'll enjoy the presumably the space that'll open up. Um, it's about getting the ball to him though. <laughs> right. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if he has to drop and and collect it or what. Um, South Korea, Portugal. I mean. Was it not South Korea that dumped Germany out of the group stages in Russia? It was. So they've got some history with with knocking big European sides out. Now I do think this Portugal team is a lot better than that Germany side was. Sure. Um, and they've got threats all over the park. I mean, they do have Cristiano Ronaldo who tried to claim a goal again today, but <laughs> it was actually Bruno Fernandes' goal. That was um, Harry Kane esque in its. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. 
Um, Bruno Fernandez is in great form. Um, Diogo Costa at the back in great form. Um, yeah, I think I think this will probably be too tall a task for South Korea. So yeah, um, I'm hoping Uruguay can go through and keep my keep my prediction alive, <laughs> but we'll see. Um. And then uh, the result between Cameroon and Serbia today, it was looking like Serbia was going to have a decent shot. But what we do have, as is now required in every World Cup, apparently, is Switzerland-Serbia in a final match day of the group stage with basically qualification on the line. So Switzerland or Serbia would go through with a win as long as Cameroon doesn't beat Brazil. Um, and uh, Switzerland famously, you know, defeating Serbia 2-1 last time out in the World Cup. The the Albanian Eagles, you know, of, of the Albanian Kosovoans who, uh, have, you know, immigrated to, to Switzerland. Um, so a lot of needle in this matchup, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for for Serbia Switzerland I think it's probably one of the uh, one of the tickets of the of the round Absolutely I mean it's basically a derby and all I have to say is Murat Yakin you better start Jadon Shakiri like don't be a coward <laughs> like <laughs> him and Chaka both need to be on the pitch like Absolutely. against Serbia it just has to happen um yeah I mean again like Switzerland are are for me one of those teams that's always greater than the sum of its parts um, and yeah, they still have a pretty good chance, I think, of going through, uh, despite the, the loss. Um, so we'll have to see. Um, we'll and go Brazil have on their last match day. Cameroon. Cameroon. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's Brazil's for sure. Yeah. Drop Rafinha though. My God. Like he started both games and i'm just like what i don't understand like he's all right i don't know am i being what harsh would you like say i just you do here like <laughs> that's that's my that's my thing with rafinha i honestly and maybe it is harsh but i honestly he gives off he gives me the same vibe for barcelona um where he, like to me he's like above leeds level but i don't know if he's barcelona level yeah no, I, I mean, totally is agree. Is that harsh? I don't no, know. Like, I like him, but I just, I don't know. I would totally agree. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, no, I think he just hasn't, yeah, he's he hasn't found his level. It's really interesting that he r keeps getting selected for both, <laughs> I guess, right. for Barcelona and Brazil, um, despite what I would say is at least a perceived lack of impact, if not an actual lack of impact. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't get it, but I'm also not a coach, so I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling with this Brazil team in general, cause I'm having to come to terms with the fact that the player I've, I hate the most because Richarlison has played for Everton and Spurs. No reason to love that. It turns out that like, <laughs> he's like a really good guy and is like an advocate for a lot of different like marginalized groups in brazil and uh right which makes me question everything because all of my favorite brazilian players are like borderline fascists so <laughs> <laughs> 
evangelicals and such. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's interesting. He's he's an interesting. One. I mean, you know, the man contains multitudes. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, he'll break your leg and then score an overhead kick in the World Cup. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so let's get on to the U.S. versus Iran. This is already a match that carried a lot of weight just by virtue of being the U.S.'s final group game with qualification on the line. It's a win or go home, as they say. And it all picked up in <laughs> in intensity and narrative. And as we said, you know, if you're not here for the narrative, then what are we even doing? Um, and it all picked up because of a decision made by the U.S. Soccer Federation kind of out of nowhere to use a sanitized, I guess we'll say, version of the Iranian flag, which mm. did not use the emblem in the middle of, uh, for those who you know have seen the Iranian flag, red, white, and green. Um, and in the middle, there's a symbol which represents the Islamic Republic of Iran, which has been their government since the 1979 revolution. Um, they removed that emblem from the center and just displayed a red, white, and green flag with no emblem. And the Iranian government has responded uh, quite strongly to this use and uh, said that the U.S. had posted a distorted image of the flag of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, they are in breach of the FIFA charter and they should be suspended from for 10, eight. They said a 10 game suspension is the appropriate pen penalty. <laughs> they should be kicked out of the world cup. Um, so <laughs> obviously strong sentiments taken by uh, the Iranian uh, government, but Basically, U.S. soccer said that this was a gesture to show solidarity with the women of Iran. For those who are like following the news, there have been massive protests in Iran about the treatment of women. Um, and just really, it's been kind of a referendum and like a, a general demonstration on, on just human rights in Iran and freedom of speech, freedom of, you know, uh, but primarily around the treatment of women. And the USSF said that this was their way of showing solidarity. But I guess the problem with this show of solidarity is that they didn't actually say they were doing it. They just kind of did it and they didn't really tell anyone that they were doing it. Or so I guess like at the heart of it is like they've taken a stance seemingly, but would it not have had more impact if they had made some sort of announcement around it or something? You I would, don't know. You would think. <laughs> you would think. I mean, I, I, my take is that it was extremely misguided. Um, I think that this tournament is politically charged enough. Yeah. And I'm not one of those like key politics out of sports people because I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but. Yeah at the same time like that is if you're going to do something like that maybe consult like the relevant parties first and and maybe even the u.s government i don't know because i yeah. mean these have geopolitical consequences right i mean because sport and politics don't 
they are so in- intertwined as much as some people don't want to hear that. It's the truth. Um, the fact that USS SF just took this upon themselves to do and not say anything is like absolutely just mind boggling to me. Like I, 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 they thought they were doing something like, mm. clearly. And all they did was really bring a lot of um, intense pressure on our players by journalists um, as we saw with Tyler Adams and um, ratchet up kind of the, the narrative leading into this, this game um, and the Iranian players themselves are already going through it. I mean, they protested mm-hmm. by not singing their own anthem. Um, so, you know, I don't think they need us to make that point for them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so it just was completely, for me, unnecessary and not well thought out. And yeah. I think any nation who had their flag altered by another nation would be like, what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Um not to say that I I co-sign what's going on in Iran, uh, Iran, absolutely not. <laughs> um, but uh, once and for all, let's get this clear. Just <laughs> <laughs> that was so harsh. I don't know if you guys aren't familiar. I mean, Tyler Adams was called out, you know, basically by an Iranian journalist for saying Iran, which I think everyone in like the English speaking world says it that way. Yeah. Like I've, I never heard that that was wrong. I know it's not the way to say it in like Persian or anything, but <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't realize that that was actually wrong. So I will try to fix myself too. I, I, I would say there are many <laughs> anglicized, you know, yeah. Literally every country on the map has an English name that somebody calls it that I mean there's right. if we wanted to get technical, you know, every country yeah. has their own name for in their that country. language. Yeah. Um like nobody is going around the Croatia camp and saying uh, it's Hrvatska, like you fucking <laughs> child. You know, that's a <laughs> but captain adams was so so composed like go watch the interview if you haven't yet where he's asked about and and that that interview really pissed me off too because it's like do you actually care about the plight of black americans or are you just using this to to poke a a player who had nothing to do with this classic case of what about um i think on the on the part of this journalist who yeah pointed to the basically the treatment of of black americans as uh a reason for tyler adams not to want to support the u.s um and uh yeah the poise from the kid is is crazy like um yeah he he did not look bothered at all like it was amazing like he didn't even have any like sarcastic no facial expression like i i certainly wouldn't have been able to hold it together so kudos to him took it took it absolutely in stride and uh even worked in the fact that the journalist correct corrected his pronunciation of iran into his answer of about uh the subsequent question uh in saying that like as long as we keep you know making progress and educating each other just like you educated me on the pronunciation of the name of your Mm -hmm. country like that's how we and i was just like damn that's good like and to be able to come up with that on the spot you know in a a world cup presser is just is just wild and uh yeah so i think all things being considered you know we'll we'll talk about the team and we'll talk about this you know who knows what the legacy of this of this team will be at this world cup this us men's team 
Um, but the kids are all right. And like the, mm-hmm. the, the group at, at its heart is, is a good group, uh, that, that will, I'm sure do, do amazing things going forward, regardless of how things shake out, uh, tomorrow afternoon. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, on the pitch, what do you, what do you make of this one? Iran, USA, uh, win and you're in, you know, losing you're out. I, so here's what I'll say. I hate the fact that we have to play a Carlos Kirosh side in a win or go home. Like if the U S could draw and advance, I would feel better. I really hate that they have to win because Kirosh is going to make it absolute hell out there. Um, mm. Like it is going to be stop start. There's going to be a lot of fouls. There's going to be a lot of just like basically trying to break up any fluidity from the U.S. Um, and I, I just really, I hope that the boys are like up for it mentally. Like I hope that they're up for a fight because I think if they come into this thinking like, you know oh we can we can dominate this or that like i real i really think that it's going to be us trying to break down a team that has been extremely stubborn um you know i think that first goal that first game against england is such a is such an anomaly for so many reasons um with everything mm-hmm. surrounding the iran team and and all those things um and i think at the end of the day like we talked about mexico's lack of goal scoring like the U.S. has scored one goal uh, and hasn't scored in three halves, you know, since that Tim Weah goal against Wales. And that has been an issue. And striker has been a, you know, a huge like area of question for for this U.S. men's team. So I just I worry in a do or die like can those players find the way through find you know and make that right decision um and i think i think most of all coming out of the england game there are a lot of players who i think can give themselves a lot of credit i think tyler adams is amongst them weston mckinney was like unbelievable against england on the flip side of that christian pulisic if he plays as he did against england i don't think the us will advance like i really think he was mm. very poor um and there was a lot of things in the numbers that suggested like he had a good game, but there were so many times where uh, he was like playing a simple pass that was intercepted or like caught in possession or trying to do something that just like didn't come off. And the whole thing just felt very, it just felt like we, we were playing like a man light in attack as a result. Um, cause he just wasn't really making good decisions. And Weston McKinney ended up being like our most dangerous attacker. Um, he, I think had our best two chances. Um, and that's not, you know, I, he pops up with the odd goal for Juve, but I definitely, you know, you would want the likes of, of Pulisic and, and way popping up in those sorts of areas. And so one, I'm interested to see the lineup that Greg goes with, um, Obviously, I'm hoping that if Gio Reyna is healthy, he's not played, you know, much the last two games. I think this game is tailor-made for the likes of him in somebody who can break lines, 
both with a mm. dribble or with a pass. Um, because I think Kirosh is going to set up two banks of four and say, come get it. Like, <laughs> I dare you, yeah. you know? Um, and uh, Iran, like, against Wales, made that work to perfection and then hit them, you know, late, late in injury time with a couple of couple of sucker punches so um i think wales were down to 10 though right wales were down to 10 yeah wayne hennessy yeah. tried to like straight up murder a person on the field so ridiculous. <laughs> um, ridiculous so yeah i i think uh the one thing that does give me a lot of a lot of hope is the fact that um for the most part defensively the u.s has been i would say quite sound walker zimmerman there's there's something like we got to figure something else out though. <laughs> like Zimmerman's been, he's been brutal. And, and it's, I, I know it's like a played out thing. Cause the whole Aaron long and Zimmerman thing, like it was a whole point of discussion for the whole world cup qualifying cycle. Tim Ream seems to have reinvented himself. Like um, Matt Turner and gold looks every bit like a U.S. number one. He looks, you know, exactly how you'd want him to. Um, but Zimmerman is absolutely the weak link. And like, uh, almost cost them the game uh, on a couple of occasions against England. So um, where he would just pass Harry Kane the ball. Um, so that's, <laughs> yeah, that's where I worry. I don't know. I know it's a super long-winded answer to get to the fact that like I'm nervous in yeah. in a must win in a World Cup because it's just not a good situation to be in given the fact that the United States probably should have beat Wales and could have beat England. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is it is a precarious position to be in. And I think like this team is so young that like this experience is invaluable and I don't mean to be like um defeatist or anything, but like I think we'll be even better next time. Like when For actually sure. I think when we host, right? The next yep. tournament. So I think that's really when this team will be starting to come into their own. But um I mean we I'd still love to go through. I really would. And I think um I think we definitely have a chance. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that it is going to be a four-four-two and just um, bunkering from Iran and then hitting on the counter. I think you have to always be weary of of Meditaremi, who has been lighting it up for Porto yeah. in Portugal and for Iran at this tournament. He scored two against England, I think. Right? I mean, even though they they shipped six, uh, he still got in on it. Yeah. Um, and and then of course they beat Wales, like you said, down to ten. Um. It's funny because like you you bring up Kirosh and how he's he's going to be very negative, but he this Iran side have conceded six, which is second most of the tournament in one um, game. <laughs> in one game, right? Yeah, yeah to to a world class side, but still like they could be gotten at for sure. Um, that that being said, they have four goals, four. That's more than Wales and and USA combined. So yeah, um, you know they are different from us in that they do have like an out and out number nine who is reliable and will reliably put it in the net for them so um yeah it's it's gonna be very interesting and I, I agree that also that um Gio Reyna would be welcome I don't think you dropped him away I think you maybe move him to the center and and Haji Wright or whoever is supposed to play number nine makes way because I think Tim Way has been quite good yeah um and has our only goal <laughs> as you said right um, but yeah, Gio Reyna would be would be very useful for a game like this, and and really a Christian Pulisic at his best would be useful in a turgid game like this. But we uh, do have to see better than we saw against 
against England because yeah, you're right. I don't think the numbers told you everything about Christian's performance. Um, as for the backline, I mean, do you make a change for Zimmerman at this point where it's like he has been the one starting? Because I think, I mean, I probably would actually. I think I would go Cameron Carter Vickers and just say, listen, this other guy's not been up to it. Like, see what you can do. We need to win. Yeah. I, gosh, it's such a tough call to make because, um, because it is. It is relatively settled, I guess. Um, but I mean, the reality is like it can't. We know that it can't be Aaron Long, so it's like it's, absolutely not. So yeah, I mean, Cameron Carter Vickers is kind of the he's kind of the option. Um, and man, you look through the roster; it it really is jarring to see like. <laughs> When you're looking through the roster and you're like, there's no strikers and no center backs. Like there's just like, what, like what, who did we bring? Um, but no, the, uh, yeah, I think, I think Cameron Carter Vickers is a, is a good shout. And I think when, when, I don't know, when a player's just been so clearly off it, it's hard to, it's hard to say like, well, don't rock the boat. Mm. because he's just he hasn't it's not like oh him and tim ream just like are really on the same wavelength and connect so well and play play so well together it's just such a good partnership it's like walker zimmerman has been a like absolute liability <laughs> in both matches um yeah and uh so i don't think it, anything feels like it could be could be an upgrade and even just a even just a shakeup of walker zimmerman to say like you're not automatically on the team sheet and um you know maybe it it <laughs> galvanizes him for for the further rounds you know if if the US are to are to advance well and i i venture to say that Cameron Carter Vickers has more big big game experience i mean with Celtic i mean he's played um in Europe you know against like Shakhtar against RB Leipzig against Real Madrid I yeah. mean um he's played old firm derbies you know for against Rangers like and so he I think on paper would understand and appreciate this pressure more so I think if you were gonna make a change it would be to to Carter Vickers um and I like Carter Vickers like I just I like him as a player like I know he comes from Spurs and everything but <laughs> I yeah. I do think he is a good player and I'm glad that he's he's finally in the setup um, but yeah, that is, that is a huge call. I, I would venture to say like, yes, just cause I'm sick of Zimmerman, but <laughs> I can see the hesitancy when it is pretty settled, but, um, just the a way... brain dead tackle against Bale. And then, yeah. like you said, the, the giveaways to England could have been just so costly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can't say for sure. I'd have to watch the Harry Kane header back where, I mean, England should win it like on that last set piece um, mm -hmm. where Harry Kane gets a header in front of, I, and I don't know who he gets in front of. Um, but again, you know, set piece defense. Like I think it's been a narrative through this world cup because Alexi Lawless literally doesn't know what else to talk about, but set pieces, but it has been <laughs> an issue <laughs> like for, um, for the U.S. in in both qualifying and and now, um, I mean, it could have been their downfall, I guess, against England. But um, 
Shape-wise, Burhalter went to like this 4-4-2 where McKenney was like almost playing on the right um, mm. against England, but it felt like it was a very specific decision for how England play. Do you think that he goes back to the 4-3-3 that we are like used to against Iran in a in an effort to like be more attacking in a traditional sense? Um, because it feels like the 4-4-2 was specifically about like outworking and kind of nullifying like England's midfield. Yeah, yeah, I do think we go 4-3-3 just because I think Adams, McKenney, Musa is the real like highlight of this this team, this tournament. Um I don't think the attack has necessarily been super fluid and the defense like we said has been <laughs> what it is. Um you know, bless Tim Ream, but Yeah. Um yeah, I I do think so cuz I do think those three is like really really nice balance and I think that they they have an understanding now yeah um and and i do think west could pop up with some goals i mean we know he likes those late runs adams can lock down the midfield and then musa is just so press resistant like he is like a little like mateo kovacic type sure. player like just so so good technically yeah um and and against an iran side that's going to be wanting to you know nip at the heels and everything that could be a very useful um attribute um, what if I told you that this game was going to be refereed by Mateo Lahoth? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! Just clock that on the fat mob here. Oh, Antonio man. Miguel, Mateo Lahoth. Oh, we did not. We did not analyze the referee assignments enough because now, <laughs> now I'm going to go back after we're done recording and look at the referee assignments for every match. But wow. <laughs> The man himself, like La Liga's yep. most dramatic referee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, there's a couple of Liverpool matches recently that as soon as I saw him assigned to the Champions League, the Champions League final, right? Or did he? No, he couldn't have done the final. What did he do? Gosh, he did a big champions league game for maybe it was the napoli game recently for liverpool that he refereed and i was just like yep not getting anything out of this like, <laughs> this is gonna be a disaster um gosh that is that is interesting although it may it may work in the u.s's favor if they're gonna be the more fouled team yeah that's what i was thinking too that's yeah. that's the only thing that i can think of unless he decides to go with the whole like you know, the team that commits the most fouls is never booked. And then the team that only commits like three fouls gets booked every single time that they commit a foul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll see. It'll be a good one. Oh, Mateo Lahoth. Unbelievable. I that's wow. That's <laughs> truly, I'm glad you spotted that. Um, speaking of the midfielders though, for the U S in a way of closing out, I guess, uh, at Jay Konecki on Twitter asked, do you think the value of the U.S. midfielders has gone up significantly? And I and I, I assume Jake is referring to, like, during this World Cup, do you think it's raised? And uh, he <laughs> goes on to add, if Valencia has to lose Musa, I want that fucking bag, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, of course. Uh, Tyler Adams has been great at Leeds. Um, he fits that club like a glove, I think. Um, 
clearly he's not like Calvin Phillips exactly, but I think he is one of the best that they could get out there. Um, Weston, excellent player, like a, a solid contributor for, for Juventus, has won um, his manager's respect there in Turin. So, of course, um, and, and a midfielder that can score goals, like that's always going to be valuable on the transfer market. And then, of course, Yunus Musa, um, I think he's probably like the the least along in his development, if that makes right. sense. I think he's like more in the nascent stages of his career, still only 20 years old. Actually, he turns 21 tomorrow. So hopefully, Yunus Musa has, he Happy balls birthday. out. Yeah, it's probably it's, it's probably tomorrow already in Qatar. Um, for sure, for sure. But uh so he's 21 today in Qatar. Um and yeah, I think I think he's had a little bit more issues like earning the trust of of the manager at Valencia, but still a great place to to apply your trade. Um if you just focus about on the pitch obviously. Um and and La Liga is a, a great league to really learn your craft on a technical level. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we can't trust transfer mark too much, but his market value is like somewhere in the 20 million euro range. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be a big player and he's still got a lot of years left on his contract. So if Valencia played this right, they could definitely secure a bag for sure. <laughs> I think, I think Musa probably has the most room to grow in terms of his stock. Um, mm. And I think if the U.S. are to, if they do make it a little bit deeper in this World Cup, and he has the chance to kind of show, um, what he can do against some big opposition, you know, I think it he definitely turned some heads. I think in the England match because I I think he played really well, um, in like you said, you know, in and amongst like some very, uh, high profile players, <laughs> um, in that England setup, but. Yeah, so I think Musa has probably the most room to grow. McKenny, I mean, he might be, he might be available soon, depending on uh, the outcome of oh, this gosh. Juve stuff. <laughs> we Thoughts might, the books. we might find out his market value sooner than later. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I do, I do think. Of the like you like you mentioned, Miguel, like the midfield has probably played the best at this World Cup. So I think, you know, it stands to reason that that their stock has risen um the most. Is it enough? You know, I don't think Adams will be moving anytime soon, um, having just gotten to Leeds. I don't think McKenney's going anywhere unless, you know, Juventus is uh you know, if they're <laughs> In the third division? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they're owned by the Italian uh, financial police, um, you know, <laughs> by the end of the... Um, Juventus becomes government property. Yeah. <laughs> Seized. Uh, I was like, is there a Berlusconi joke in here somewhere? Probably, but I, um, he's not the he's not the prime minister anymore, so it's fine. Um, yeah, so extremely interesting matchup um i love this world cup in that only three teams have been mathematically eliminated going into the final um you know round of group stage games so basically every group has significant jeopardy in this final group stage game and uh you just love to see that there's no like dead rubbers out there where uh you know two teams on six points or whatever and just everybody good to go it's like we've We've got um, 
we've got a good uh a good mix across uh across all the all the groups and a lot going on but us iran tomorrow at 2 p.m i believe eastern time so a uh a noon kickoff in uh your neck of the woods mika so um yep a lunchtime a lunchtime kickoff indeed stealth watching the conference room i i just <laughs> i don't get how i mean with the growth of you know i know soccer obviously isn't at the level of that it's been you know talked about but or maybe in other countries but the idea that there aren't just millions of man hours being wasted tomorrow um <laughs> at multiple corporations i just uh i just think they should call a spade a spade and and just admit when you know the u.s is playing there's probably not a lot productive happening um truly in the the offices around uh around the country but um hope everybody has a way to watch the match or at least stay tuned in um and if you're trying to wait until you get home to be able to watch the match hope you stay spoiler free um so um yeah like i said at the top of the episode uh we're hardcore football you can find us at hxc football on twitter and uh, you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms so look us up find us and uh and yeah get listening hope this is a nice primer i i I hope ideally you're listening to this um prior to this this round of games um so a nice morning morning listen um or maybe you're taking in the uh the early kickoffs tomorrow while you listen to this but hope you've enjoyed um and hope everyone uh is enjoyed their thanksgiving holiday i know we're into the almost into the festive season uh the the (laughs) christmas time is almost here so hopefully everyone um had uh had a good safe weekend and uh we'll be back i'm sure to to wrap up some of these knockout stages um probably once we're into the round of 16 we'll want to catch back up after all this madness has subsided um and uh we'll we'll go from there but um yeah, it's been, despite all of the nonsense, it has been it has been a, a wonderful tournament so far, and really excited to see um, what what happens on this last uh, group match day. But until uh, we we speak again, uh, hope everyone has a uh, yeah enjoys the tournament, and we'll we'll catch up with you soon. See ya.